All right. So the name of the podcast is Application to Admission. I want it to be HBC versus PWIs, but you know, you think that's a little bit too too aggressive. And I, you know, I don't want to be aggressive. I want to make sure that I I treat your your your, your brother, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. right. You know, I don't come off too too militant. Even though Martin was a real militant man, he has some he has some really positive stances on a lot of things that people you know, have diluted his message through this holiday and all that, but that's a whole nother uh, episode. And we're back, the Application to Admission podcast. We are fired, fired, fired up because it's just a day and we're alive. We're on the right side of the dirt. Tim, how you feeling, my dude? You, you having a good day today? Hey, I just got off a plane from a week in Nassau, Bahamas. Uh, got to get away a little bit. So I am refreshed and ready for all that the summer has. Must be nice. You asked. Yeah, you I asked. did. I did. I did. I got to go to uh, elementary school graduations this week for my twins. What? Hey, what? family I, first. Family first. Great. So no, really excited. I mean, this is going to be a great summer for us. It's a great summer for the class of 2024 rising seniors and anybody else, parent or student in high school, because you're going to listen to our podcast, read our book. You're going to share, subscribe, do anything you can to make sure that good people get good information. But uh, I really don't want to talk too much because I have a tendency to do that. But I will make sure that we have a very, very, very special guest today. I, in, in a later life, I want to be as prolific as she is as a writer. Um, but Tim, I'll let you do the honors to introduce our guest, and then we will pepper her, if not thoroughly hose her down with questions to see what she's got to say. <laughs> so so re really, I don't, I don't know where to start there. There's so many titles, but I'll, I'll, I'll end with the most important one. Um, you know, formally, she is a director of college counseling, um, at Lake Mary Preparatory School in Florida. She also has been spent some time as an independent college consultant. She is a writer contributing to, to organizations like the Washington Post, NBC, Today. The list goes on and on. But most importantly, she is a parent of four. Woo! She, she has Say that been, again. Wait, Tim, how many? <laughs> she is a parent of four. Two, two in which she has successfully navigated the college admission process and then you know she has the knowledge to do more but uh she you know just shares her advice wherever she can uh you know you will get the honest truth from her she's not going to sugarcoat it she's going to give it to you how you want it so i am excited to have allison slater tate on the application to admission podcast flowers flower yeah yeah snap 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 whatever you want to do thank you allison. for having me so no, no, we're, we're pumped and again i'm i'm going to correct my my co-host you're not formally a college director of college are you still oh yes i'm st yes mm -hmm. yep uh, i am so very much like, in the middle of it yes <laughs> so like you do this the the scheduling for seniors you meet with parents you write letters of rec you do all the hand holding at an independent school and still find time to hug your children at night and and be a writer I mean, most of the time when they'll let me hug them, I I try to at least, but yes. Um, yeah, I'm an AP coordinator. I do 200 schedules for the high school um, and we are an international school. So I also have to handle the international students and their needs. So yeah, it's a lot. It's There's a lot, but I love it. I love caffeine, all that different. A lot of caffeine? So much caffeine, okay. so much caffeine. I am Understood. a Diet Coke girl. Um, okay. I, okay. I pretty much, as one of my coworkers said, you don't drink water, do you? No, I do not. I only drink caffeine. So. <laughs> I have to stay awake. Yeah. Next, yeah. next question. Next question. Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Well, well. When Tim told me that he met you, not met you, but hung out with you pretty heavy down at SACAC, uh, went to the Southern ACAC uh, Association of College Admissions Counselors. For those who don't know, he was really excited about bringing you onto the podcast and you sharing. Um, great information. I've read your writing and, and and heard you on different platforms. So I'm pumped as well. Uh, Tim, again, I'll, I'll talk forever. So you ask Allison the first question before I start <laughs> twisting and turning the questions after you ask it. Well, I, I guess, you know, I would just like to, you know, start with, you know, kind of the current place we're in right now as parents uh, in the summer of 2023, are thinking about helping their children, what do you think is most important for them as they, you know, help their children, especially those who are rising seniors? I mean, I think, you know, that there is 
a real need to be intentional and thoughtful about parenting rising seniors. And it, it is a, a tricky time, really tricky. And it's not a time to take over and to try and be their shepherd at that moment necessarily for college admissions. I think you really have to let them lead a lot. Otherwise they are going to feel a lot of pressure from you. Um, what I tell parents is that you have to do the work on yourself first. You truly have to believe that the 17 or 18 years of work that you've put into parenting this child has been good, good, solid work, and that they have the foundation they need to succeed wherever they go and whatever they do. Um, and that there are so many wonderful options and there truly are. And that's not just blowing smoke. There are so many good places to go and so many ways to start and get to the place that the kids want to get to, that you have to believe that they are going to be okay because children are like horses. They can smell fear. They smell fear in you. And if you are doubting them or doubting their path, they will know it. And that will shape their whole senior year. So I tell parents to remember that two things, um, your child's mental health comes first, no matter what. Absolutely. Like before anything else, because it doesn't matter where they go to college if they're not okay. Um, and the second job is that your job is to be their mom or dad always. And their mom or dad is not somebody who judges them, not somebody who judges their choices, not somebody who um, is nagging them constantly or taking things away from them because they haven't finished their college essay yet. You have to just hug them and love them and know, like have faith in them that they know what deadlines are and that they will do what they need to do to get there. Um, and then beyond that, it's, you know, more of the nitty gritty details, like remembering that college admissions is not a meritocracy. Your child has not earned anything or deserves something specific that your child has the tools in place to go be successful um, in many different places. And the path might not look like, like what you imagine it to look like when you start the process, but they will get to where they need to go. Man, wow. five yeah, minutes into it, coming in hot. Yeah, I, I'm hot. tearing up. I'm requesting everything I've done for my children. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> well, join the club on that one because that is, I'm afraid to tell you that never ends. You will, yeah. you will question everything forever. And, you know, yeah, that's part yeah. of parenthood. Yeah. yeah, agreed, agreed. I have an 18 year old who just finished his freshman year of, of college. And as Tim knows, um, you know, it's been a a roller coaster, and and I'm and and you know, getting him there, and now all the stuff getting in, go being there, what happens next? You know, it, it's a lot. It, it's a lot, and I'm glad like the mental health of your child is paramount, and I know that's Absolutely. something that's near and dear to Tim and I, and Tim even more so than me. You know, and and he's hasn't gone through it yet as a parent, but as an educator, as a higher education pro professional. You know, Tim, I know you have a lot of thoughts about mental health and the college admissions process and the importance that we as as, as adults kind of uh, put the guardrails in place to protect our kids. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, a, a lot of the things that, you know, she just said, you know, you know, resonated. And I, th I think, you know, there is something for the parents that it's not all on the students that I think, you know, parents have to take in consideration, you know, the conversation we had about, you know, the the mother who wanted her son to apply to all the Ivies. And yeah, yeah you can apply to 20 different places, but you can also get rejected from 20 different places. And what does it, what does that do uh, to that child? You know, and, and is it even going to move the meter for them to get into those schools? Do they even want to go to schools? And so, you know, definitely, you know, uh, that part of the process, but also, you know, just as, as parents saying that, you know, the success of me being a parent is attached to where my child goes to college, you know, yes, it'd be great to say, my, you know, insert school X mom of this school, but that doesn't diminish who you are as a parent. And so I think obviously all those things are very, very important. Something we'll continue to, you know, make sure parents know about, but it's obviously always great, you know, when the message resonates, you know, throughout. And, yeah. And I was, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, please. Just to add to that, like, I feel like I do have to remind parents a lot of the time, you know, it feels like a lot of parents want to have their kids apply to colleges just to see, just mm -hmm. just to not leave anything on the table, like that kind of thing, which I fully support for a couple of colleges. But I have to remind them that 
what you do in November and December comes back in April. And it can be a really hard week for these kids um, if they're getting, you know, on Ivy Day, like seven rejections. Um, I don't think that they always are thinking about the impact that these things are having on the kids and how much it builds up um, because social media, which I do not demonize, I think social media has a lot of good things about it. But one of the bad things is the relentlessness of it. You can't escape it. And yeah. When you see all these videos of other kids getting into places and other kids getting good news and you're getting bad news and it's just, it's just not a healthy way to um, approach a senior year and it's not necessary. Preach, preach yeah. Allison. I mean, sheesh, we've, I like, like you, I have a love hate relationship with social media, but I'm not going to be the old fogey gen Xer, they buy humbug. <laughs> but I will say that as per the college admissions process, it has uh, again, it has warped many of our students and parenting, parents going through, you know, the school's Instagram page of where kids got in early decision with their baby pictures. Like, I'm like, whoa, whoa, like, like we are, we're, we're making this worse. We it as is, adults. Yeah, we, we are. And I think it starts with us. We have to model it. We can't just sit here and curse the wind, you know, yes. like we can't, it's not going away. Correct. Um, and, Correct. and the only way to make things better is to be part of a solution. So I think that parents have to, you know, really, like I said, do the work on yourselves first. Like think about how you want to approach social media, how much you're going to let it affect you. Because I guarantee, like one thing I know about kids is that no kid is okay if their parents not okay. And right. you have to have found your center on all of that before you start this process. So, so with that, as a parent who's, you know, again, gone through this two times and has kids at very different schools, you know, one very in, you know, suburban New Jersey at Princeton University and the other at, you know, uh, what part of Furman is in what part of South Carolina? Greenville. Greenville, not, not Greenville, Greenville. Yeah, Greenville, sorry. Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, very different schools. <laughs> you know, how involved were you as a parent slash college counselor in their application process, like reading their essays, helping them, you know, uh, uh, choose schools? Like, did you have to, you know, grin and bear it? Did you bite your tongue? How, how'd you do that? Truth, so much truth. trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can um, tell you what I did for my kid. So you, yeah. tell me you, you go first. You know, I tell people that in many ways, my own kids processes were the easiest jobs I've ever had, honestly, um, because I am my own best client in terms of being a parent. Um, I am so very confident that there are so many great places to go that I honestly don't care where my kids go. I want them to go to the best place for them. Um, my oldest one was very self-driven, you know, had, um, had big aspirations very early and had, you know, driven that process on his own, often ignoring me. Um, when I said, you shouldn't be taking all AP classes, that's too much. And he said, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you know, first child and very, very, very opinionated. He did let me read his essays. Um, I took one pass at them. Uh, it's a good thing he's a good writer because he would wait till the last, literally the last minute, but he got it done. So I didn't stress that much because I knew he'd probably pull it out. Um, that's the kind of student he is clearly. And, you know, it was, it was okay. He, he got into Princeton early action. And after that, he, a lot of the schools he had planned to apply to, he did not apply to. So his process was over pretty early. My second child um, had gone through COVID mm. and um, really he was part of that class of 2022. And I don't know how much you guys remember about that class at this point, because every year is I, I have a kid in it. I, I have a okay. kid in class of 2022. I'm aware. There you go. So they, from a college counselor standpoint at a high school, that class I said was not fully cooked yet. Like they needed another year of high school together. They didn't need a gap year. They needed another year of high school. Um, they, you know, by his senior year, he was getting his first homecoming, his first girlfriend, his first sports season, his first prom, his first everything. Like he really had not been in school for a full year until that year in a way that mattered, you know, freshman year, was like such a blur, but right, that was right. like his first full year. So I found that entire class, including my son to be very 
um, not ready. Like they didn't want to talk about college. They weren't sure what they wanted. They hadn't visited a lot of schools. Um, it felt like they all were kind of like pushing their feet against, like you were trying to pull them and they were like, no, not yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready. Um, and he was part of that. So for him, I got him to apply to, um, a range of schools that I felt he would be able to choose from and that would be good fits for him. But I really had to be a much bigger part of that process with him because he just wasn't willing to engage as much. Um, and then you're going to love this. He, at the end of the day, was having such a hard time deciding and he would not go on college visits um, that I ended up picking him up from his project graduation party at 3.30 in the morning from school and driving him straight to Furman to tour because he had not toured Furman. I felt that he would like it. Um, and I basically had to kidnap him to get him <laughs> to go. And he was so mad at me for about an hour of that drive. And then he fell asleep and we pulled into Furman's parking lot at 10 in the morning and we went on the tour and halfway through the tour, I mean, <laughs> I looked like a homeless person. Like I just, you know, <laughs> driving, I, right, right. It was not good. It was not a good scene, but at, halfway through the tour, you could just see it all starting to click. And he was like, I like it here. And it's like, oh, really? I had no idea you would like it here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and after that, it took about another week and a half to two weeks. And then he said, I, I want to, I want to go there. Um, yeah. And so I did have to be more of a part of that process and yet not exert too much influence in terms of like, I did not talk on that tour. I did not say anything about it. I didn't ask him what he thought. I just let him sit and percolate about it. But I knew if not Furman, he had other schools to choose from that I knew he'd be okay at. Um, but I did have to, he wrote his own essays. He, I read them, they were fine, um, but he was a different kind of student and needed a different kind of thing. And we weren't going for Harvard on that one. So, understood, you know, understood. Right. And, 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 yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you, you, you bring up a couple things as you tell that story. One, um, your other two children are girls, boy and girl. I have a 15 year old boy and an 11 year old girl. Okay. So you got three boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. All right. So, 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 so one, uh, can you talk about this dynamic about just like, you know, every child is different. I think sometimes parents go through this and be like, oh, that was easy. Let me just, you know, run, get the script and run it back. And that not be the case. <laughs> uh, but, but, but also, um, you know, kind of given you, your years of experience, just the different dynamics between boys and girls in this process and the realities of that. I mean, honestly, with gender, I don't know that there is a lot of generalizing you can do because, you know, some girls are really much more mature than boys, like most girls, but not really. Um, um, some, no shade. Um, would you agree? Again, I'll say it on this podcast and defend it to the end. My 11 year old girls are more mature than my 18 year old boy. Oh, absolutely. My 11 year old girl is like 30 compared Le to my leaps and bounds. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But then so is my, my 21 year old boy is pretty mature too, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, when you're dealing like my, my 21, all my kids are somewhere on the, you know, gifted spectrum, whatever it is. Um, and they're, they're just, but gifted kids are asynchronous in their development. And sometimes mm -hmm. they can be very immature emotionally when they're mm -hmm. very smart academically mm -hmm. and intellectually. But, you know, I have two of my four children have learning disabilities of some kind, either writing and reading processing speed issues. Um, I have a child with dyslexia. Uh, so even in my own family, having four kids, I have wildly, wildly different kids. Um, and the two who don't have learning issues are very different in terms of one of them is used to things being easy and coming easily to them and they do not like a challenge. And the other one is a super hard worker and doesn't really shy away from that. So they're all different. And I wish that I could tell you that having four kids makes me an expert in parenting. And honestly, I'm like not an expert on any one of my children. I'm yeah. still like fumbling around in the dark all the time. Um, and if you had them on the podcast, they'd tell you <laughs> all the ways in which I met up. So, um, 
I think that that's really important to know. And absolutely, I think that when approaching the college process, you have to be very honest with yourself about who your kid is um, and very honest with yourself about what would be best for them because the kids are kids. They don't necessarily know what is best. Um, and that doesn't mean that you get to tell them what's best for them. It means that you have to have your expectations and your um, reality in check before they can. And for my second child who really thought, you know, that someplace like the university of Florida would be where he want to go. I knew that wouldn't be a great place for him or a great fit, but I absolutely supported him in applying there knowing that a very large school um, like that would be a hard place for him to succeed uh, in all kinds of ways. Um, but, you know, giving, but if he had gotten in there and wanted to take a chance, I, I would have supported him and just, you know, made sure he had every resource in place that he found the resources and that he could, you know, um, use them in place. But I, I always felt like Furman or someplace like Furman might be a better choice. And I have to, you know, I, I know that all of my kids are not right for a place like Princeton. And I know that all of my kids are not right for a place like UF necessarily. So um, it's finding those other places and the places in between that are important, which is a perk of my job because I know they exist and I know I visited them and I know what resources and programs are available everywhere. And, and I think something that you said is very powerful. And Tim knows that I wrestle with this word a lot is choices. You know, I, I love it when kids have choices. Yes. And that's the goal, right? That's the goal. So when your kid doesn't have choices, it right. is frustrating for all parties involved. And the certain kids that don't have choices for different reasons and you know, not going to get into my stuff in terms of the athletic stuff, but mm -hmm. the fact that you were keen on making sure that your second son, you know, surveyed his choices and had choices is is a really a, a laudatory to 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 you, but also to the fact that Tim and I are on this, this mission to help families to really see that those choices are out there. Understanding your choices sure. allows yes. parents and students to really survey the full landscape. And that's that's not always, you know, we want to shout for, shout it from the mountaintops. Um, I want to transition into you being as an, as an education writer. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that you're anticipating a very busy summer um, <laughs> as a writer um, for, for, for periodicals across the country's journals. You know, let's let, let's take the next six months. What do you expect to be writing about from an education college admission standpoint? Oh, it's going to be <laughs> rough. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, right now, the hardest part about being a counselor or a writer is kind of being in that hurry up and wait kind of position mm -hmm. where we're waiting for the Supreme Court to do their thing. We're mm -hmm. waiting for colleges to figure out how they're going to respond to things like that and things like chat GPT, if they're going to respond to it, which I don't, it's a big discussion amongst college counselors, but I personally kind of see it as a non-issue. Um, but I know that colleges might feel differently uh, and just waiting to see how that all goes down. Also, I think so many colleges are trying to figure out how to manage this volume of applications um, that we've seen go up in the past few years and and how to manage that in a way that doesn't burn them out and you know crush the students. I, I, it hasn't been a great time for anybody on any side of the desk the past few years. So as an education writer, I'm looking at, you know, um, recently very closely at the laws that have been going into place, the, the legislation that's going into place that's um, affecting healthcare for especially young women um, and the gun uh, issues in certain states um, and how that affects kids' choices. Uh, I'm having more and more students, especially because of the state I live in um, and the our, our state universities are very affordable and a lot of families have put a lot of time and money into um, investing in our prepaid college plans and believing that their children are going to go to college here. And then some of them are figuring out that this might not be a viable place for their kids to go to college now. And that's throwing some, some big things into the, into the way and, you know, how to write about that, how to advise parents on how to tackle those, those kinds of concerns. But always I'm trying to keep mental health at the front of my reporting, just because I feel so 
very strongly about that. And um, I feel like somebody has to speak up for the kids. And there's been a lot of, since COVID, especially a lot of like, we are back in school, it's business as usual, like everything's back to normal and the kids, it's not, it's not back to normal. The kids are not back to normal. There's no normal. Um, I'm not sure there ever was because before I worked in the, the school I work in now, I worked in a large public high school and before COVID, um, we were in the midst of a very big mental health crisis. Uh, and now it's just kind of like Armageddon, like it's just scorched earth. Like, uh, the kids need to be able to trust the adults in their lives to acknowledge that things are not okay. And so I feel a very strong pull towards those stories. But again, all of these stories affect each other because when you don't feel safe, um, in whatever way it is, uh, that that's going to affect your life, um, and your mental health. Allison Slater Tate giving us the real, the real, the real. So, so very quickly, just staying on mental health for a second. If, if, if we say for students, obviously there, there are a lot of things that they can do to control, you know, mental health in this process. Like don't wait to the last minute. Don't compare yourself to other students that know you're on the individual path for the parents. You know, they can, you know, kind of, as you began the conversation saying, this is your path. Obviously I'm here to support you, but you know, I don't need to ask you about this every single day. I don't need to, you know, listen to the wine and cheese circuit. What can institutions do, be it high schools, secondary schools, or colleges do to help kind of alleviate kind of this mental health pressure cooker that, you know, is is created in some ways? Transparency would be awesome. Um, and I, I applaud the schools that are trying to be very transparent in their process. Uh, one thing that would be a huge help as a counselor, I notice websites need to be fully updated um, and very clear in their language about expectations and about money. Um, the more transparent, the better. And I realize that that's not always within the power of the admissions office to make to, to make that happen. Um, but it's for for the students going through the process, not figuring out, like not knowing exactly what's expected of them is very frustrating or having something come up like a hidden question on the common app, which when mm. they click a box, suddenly there's a new essay question. These kids are like, I have this much work to do. And suddenly there's more. Um, or they get their portals and there's a new question and maybe it's optional, but is it really optional? We don't know. Cause we're not sure. Um, it's, it's those surprises where they're like, I cannot, I can't like, I can't do one more thing. Um, and for me in the state of Florida, obviously like streamlining the process, like none of our 12 state universities have exactly the same application process, which is a travesty if you ask me. And it's not their faults. Um, our, our board of governors needs to direct that uh, it's discrepancies in budgets. And it's, you know, there are some things that are unified and then some things that are really not. And the kids have to do the SSAR for half the schools. They have to do UCF's own version of the SSAR for another, for them. And then if they're applying somewhere else, they might have to do courses and grades. They might have to get their school to send a transcript. It's this, like the very many different processes that are within one process that kids are just like what it feels like bloodletting after a while you know and I don't blame them to for feeling like what more do I have to do how many how many hurdles do I have to jump just to apply to your school um and this is while balancing everything else in high school and if you notice when the deadlines are like those first deadlines around November 1st that is exactly when fall season sports are coming to a head. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's when homecomings are happening. It's when first nine weeks exams are coming up. And these kids are having to do all of that while getting those November 1st deadlines. Um, and then when it's the second round of deadlines, like January 1st, they've been on break. Their counselors might not be available. Um, some counselors are, some counselors aren't. That's not within their control. And they're also like starting their new semester. They're worried about their semester grades. They're the, the amount of stress that's on these kids for senior year and the timing of when these deadlines happen, if we could tweak them even a little bit, I feel like it would alleviate at least a little bit of pressure. And in this 
process even a little bit helps. And also acknowledging we know that you have a life and that all the things that we ask you to do to show us that you're good community members and that you're engaged and that you're doing, um, we know you're doing those things. And we want to make, we're only going to ask of you what we really need to ask of you. Like that would go a long way with the kids, I think. Um, I think that, you know, telling the kids straight up uh, a little bit more of what is expected in test scores because test going test optional has been lovely and necessary, but it also has added a layer of angst to these kids because now it's, do I send my test scores or not? If I don't send my test scores, are they going to think my test scores were lower than they are? If I do send my test scores, are they going to think that I'm not good enough? Um, all of these questions, it's like decision fatigue, just like when in COVID, when you had to like every day, make all these decisions about whether or not something was worth it to risk your life, to go out to the mm -hmm. grocery store. These kids are, <laughs> are getting decision fatigue from every single piece of this process feels like a judgment or um, a place where they could fall instead of a place where they could shine. And I think that starting the conversation with you are inherently a worthwhile person and somebody who would be awesome to have on a campus. Let's see if you're a good fit for our campus instead of the mystery and the, the opaqueness, you know, that, that is surrounding the process. Um, the kids are just driving themselves crazy. And, you know, recently I, I donate a lot of time to public school. I, I still, I'm a public school kid of my, I, I went to public schools. I care a lot about public school kids and I want to help public school counselors because I know they're overwhelmed and underpaid and understaffed. Um, and I had a public school child come up to me at the end of a presentation and say, um, I, I want to know if colleges are going to hold it against me that I have mental health issues. And I said, well, they aren't going to know. Uh, how would they know? And she said, well, because I spent time in a hospital last year. And I said, well, they still probably won't know um, necessarily unless you tell them. And she said, but I spent time there because I tried to kill myself. And said, honey, nobody, that's not on your record. Like I, these kids are walking around believing that these things are on their records and that everyone knows. And but that's that, part of social media, the, the assumption that everything in your life is shared. Documented. Yeah. yeah. Documented in some, in, some, yeah. in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah. Again, Allison, food for thought all the way around and, and, you know, making us as parents, you know, Tim and I, we, we, when we started this, we said, we're educators, we're parents, like first we're parents, like, we all have to look in the mirror and really help our kids during this time because there's so much yeah. being thrown at them, given the the um, given COVID, you know, given the fact that they were locked in the house for two years, given the fact that social media, again, not the demon, but chat GBT and all the different elements of this process, test optional. I read an article just this morning that I wasn't, I'm not sure I believe it, but maybe you guys will help me out there because it wasn't Forbes. 80% <laughs> of the colleges and universities in America now are test optional? Yeah. I mean, other 80%? than- percent That's a lot. That makes sense to me because think about it. Other than the few schools in Georgia, um, Tennessee, MIT. and the state of Florida, right. MIT, Purdue, the engineering schools basically, but not right. Caltech. Caltech's test optional right. and they're committed to it. Um, yeah. I mean, the majority 80%. of them are test optional. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'll be. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Tim, how do you take that? When you saw that statistic, it was an article that we both read this morning. Were you surprised or were you like, you know, how, how do you feel about that testing and all that? I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm jaded on it because some of it is just posturing. Mm -hmm. Some of it is there's a lot of diversity that comes with being test optional. And then to, you know, Allison's point is how transparent are these schools that are test optional being? Yeah, you can say I'm test optional, but then if you dig into the, you know, kind of statistics, you'll say, oh, well, 85% of the people who are admitted submitted test scores. So yeah. yes, on, on face value, yeah, 80%, but I, you, you'd have to really dig in the numbers, look at the schools, look at their admitted class, really to kind of get a grasp upon that. But I think it's a current trend. You know, yeah, like, you and know, they won't tell you like the, the schools don't all tell you the common data basically. set. You don't trust a common data set with that information. They they don't report that in common data set. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I mean, you know, just, you know, I mean, and this is nothing that, you know, we wouldn't say, you know, at Emory, we'll say X number of students submitted at 
SAT or ACT. That number is significantly lower than somebody who did, did not submit a test score at all because there's a large amount of students that will submit an AP score, an IB score, or they're submitting some form of testing that's not the SAT or ACT, and they don't, you know, parse out the information like that. You know, the question is, is, you know, what amount of students submitted a test score? And they'll tell you the amount of students submitted the ACT or SAT, but they, you know, a lot of people, unless you ask a specific question, well, how many did not submit anything at all? If you just made the decision based upon a transcript, that's a different number. And so, you know, that's where it kind of becomes, you know, hard to kind of really understand what are you looking at to the transparency piece that Allison was talking about. Yeah. Who's and if kids thought? spend if kids spend a year with a test prep tutor, which I know kids who do, to come out with a 1410 or a 1390, like really nothing. good, good score, <laughs> but you can't use that at right. an Emory. Uh, no. And you can't use that no. at Tulane or Boston University mm -hmm. or Richmond. And these aren't, that's not Harvard and Yale and Princeton. Like that's, those are no. schools where a lot of kids are applying. And I, I've told colleges um, when I'm sitting with them, I say, I just want you to know that when I have to tell a kid who spent a year with a test prep tutor to get that 1400 ish score, and I have to tell them that they're not going to use the score, like a little piece of my soul breaks off and like yeah. floats away. And I the torture in their eyes, like, what did I just spend all this time doing, which I would never tell a kid to spend that much time, you know, uh, on test prep, but a lot of parents strongly believe that that's still going to be very important. Um, and it, it is, if you can, you know, nail the, the big score, but if you can't, like I tell, I try to tell the kids everything else in your, that you do with every single day of your life is way more important than your test score. Um, which I, I, firmly believe. And I believe the colleges believe that too. But at the end of the day, I'm fighting, you know, social media and parents beliefs. And a lot of parents, as you know, I mean, we're the same age, um, 30 years ago. 1400 not... was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. 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 Yes. And yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, so, so, so it was funny, Allison, we were giving a presentation the other night and this young lady, very astute young lady, uh, rising senior, said asked a question said that in this competitive <laughs> application you know kind of state you know how can i you know make myself stand out given how competitive all these colleges are and my response is they're not Most well, okay, colleges... her, her exact term again this is hilarious 17 year old girl says so i work really hard and you know i know college is really competitive how can i stand out amongst my mediocre peers i was like oh Wow. Wow. And again, it, and it wasn't judgmental against, right. you know, kids who weren't doing well in school. She felt she wants to go to Yale. She lives in Connecticut, that there were kids in her school who had connections, legacy, alumni, philanthropy, whatever. And she called them academically mediocre. And we heard that and Tim's, I think, response was great. But it, it it lets you know that these kids are, are fully aware that this is not a meritocracy, but I still want to earn a spot that I think I deserve. Deserve, yeah. Again, parents, words. parents, yeah. and, and and students are different. But yeah, Tim, I think you you gave a great response. Or like you, you you're doing your best you can. You got to do you, and you know, and ultimately you'll you'll, you'll land in where you're supposed to land. I no, tell I them mean, you the, swim your own race. Like you, you have to. Be. But we don't know that as adults. As adults, that's as adults, we can hear that and accept it. And even then, it's not always easy. But I remember being 17, 18 years old. I remember being 25 and, and making very poor decisions based upon what other people were doing. Like, oh my God, I, I'm late. I'm not succeeding in life. I should change careers. You know, like it, it, it's hard when you're a teenager. It's hard. We didn't have social media. Like it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. And I think acknowledging it's a lot is step one, because, you know, I am very direct with my kid, with my students, like a lot of this sucks, but um, <laughs> it does. And, and I'm very direct with them. I say, no part of this process is in favor of you. Like there's no part of this process that is designed to be fair. Mm -hmm. um, no part of this process is designed to be fair to you, especially. Uh, and, you know, to some extent, you need to recognize what you have control over and what you don't have control over. Because if you spend your time trying to change things you don't have control over, you're going to waste some opportunities on the things that you can. 
Um, and, you know, I think that's also, I, I've said this a lot in the media, but I, I don't think I can ever say it enough. The kids who come and cry in my office, always their biggest fear is that they're going to disappoint their parents. That is at the bottom of it. That's what they're really upset about. They don't want their parents. I have had children say to me, I listened to the, I've heard my mom talk to her friends on the phone and I'm afraid she's not going to be proud of me when she's talking about where I'm going to college with her friends on the phone. Like that is what they are carrying around. And we as parents, like half the things, half, 99.5% of the things that I say to my children, I know they are not listening to or actively opposing. Um, but you know, when I dropped a jar on my toe, when my oldest child was two and I said the F word, mm -hmm. uh, he said that F word for months and he mm -hmm. said it in context and he said it very clearly mm -hmm. because they are listening and they are listening when you drop the jar on your toe and they are listening when you talk about colleges and what you say matters. And I think that we can talk about the effect of social media on the kids and absolutely like those results videos and the TikToks and everything hundred percent adds to their stress. But at the end of the day, the people who are living in the same house with them, their opinions are what are really shaping the stress of like feeling like I can't be proud of myself if my parents and the people around me who know me best, like they believe I should have something else and I'm not getting it because I didn't get there. Like I didn't do enough. Allison, are you, are you, are you in my home right now? Like, are you somewhere in the crevices? Are you in the laundry room or in oh. the family room? Because what I, I heard, what, what I heard from my kids. Well, well what you heard is her son, like uh, her child, like fudge, her son, her child, fudge, like fudge, fudge a lot. Yeah. Allison, he sure did son, for a long time. Yeah. When my son hit me with a dad, because of your job, I feel like I have to go to a certain kind of school. I was like, oh, okay, forget it. You win. You win. Yeah. You win, whatever you say, go where you want. I want you to call me when you're 30. <laughs> I don't care anymore. Forget everything I said. I'm out. I'm out. We're out. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah, not so going yeah, to college. Yeah, forget yeah. it. You stay right here. Whatever you, want, whatever you want to do. No. I know. Um, Allison, I know. You've, been, uh, um, you've been great. Again, giving us a lot of food for thought, and we, we know our listeners uh, appreciate it. I want to close you out with this because again, we, you've given us so much of your time. We're so appreciative. Going back to the word choices, um, Furman is not a school that we talk about a lot. I know some great people who go Love there. It. Um, and, and, you know, the words Princeton kind of rolls off people's tongue easily, but Furman doesn't. And, but because I visited and Purple got the F you had and, you know, again, really, really cool place. I'm curious to know, because we, we, we asked all of our guests, can you name a school or two that you would recommend that isn't on the radar screen? Well, let's just say Furman not on the radar screen. What are the other schools that your son applied to that are similar to Furman that you thought would be good for him? I'm going to start by saying, I thought Davidson and Rhodes, Swanee, but I don't know if there's what else is in that that sphere that your kid, that your son either applied to that you think is similar to Furman that is oftentimes overlooked. Well, let me tell you about this. First of all, I love Furman with like a purple hot passion. I am one of their biggest advocates and they are not like sending me merch like to <laughs> do that. Um, but let me tell you the elements of it that I really love that I think are, I don't know that there would have been a ton of other schools in, on my son's list that are exactly like it, but there are other schools that have some of the same elements. Um, I love that Furman, I don't think a lot of people know this, but they have mandatory academic advising every week for the first two years of college. Wow. Um, that is something my son needs. And he, whether he likes it or not, sometimes he doesn't like it, but they have put a lot of time and effort into this program where um, you meet in a small group of 10 to 12 uh, of your classmates, plus one upper class student who is like a, a mentor of sorts, like a big brother or sister and a professor. And they meet once a week, the first year of college to talk about college transitions, everything from like breathing exercises for stress reduction to where do I go if I need tutoring or what do I do if my roommate and I have a fight? Like, and there's a lot of building rapport amongst the students, but also an advisor, like giving them actual actionable items. Um, the second year is devoted to more career development. Like here's how you write a resume. The kids don't like just know that. And, um, and here's how you find an internship. Here's where the resources are on our campus so that you don't feel like you're like just walking in going, you know, and feeling all self-conscious about it. Um, they give them a grade for that class because they found that if they didn't, the kids wouldn't go. 
Um, but I think that they are very thoughtful and intentional about that. I really look for schools that would be thoughtful and intentional about their support layers. I will tell you another school like that, which I feel is College of Worcester um, mm, in Ohio. Ohio. Mm. I they I they won a fan for life during COVID when they offered to their students that if they had a certain GPA and stayed enrolled in three classes, a minimum like just three classes because they knew that online school sucked, which it absolutely positively did um, and was not a normal way to go to college. They said, if you are enrolled in three classes and you keep this GPA, you can have a fifth year for free so that you don't feel pressure to be enrolled in four or five classes right now, because we know this is not ideal. I love that kind of in intention and thought about what the effect is on the students and how that affects their student life. Um, I also love about Furman that they are a residential campus. The kids are have to live on campus all four years. And um, I think that that creates a sense of community that my child, that particular child really is benefiting from because people really get to know each other. They see the same people a lot. It's a small campus to begin with. It's 2,300 students are trying to get up to 2,500, I think. Uh, and, but I think that that kind of sense of we're all here, um, was something that I benefited from in college and I can see him really benefiting from it. And um, that sense of community comes from seeing the faces in the dining hall every day. There, the other colleges that he applied to, like I said, we had a bit of a disconnect between him and me on in terms of he thought he wanted to go to a big state school because that's where his friends were going. And I'd seen him in a big public school for high school the first year and a half. And I knew that that didn't work very well for him. <laughs> um, but I also really loved Lind University in Florida. Florida. I love Boca, that. Boca. Boca. Um, large international population there, like larger than usual. Uh, but the what I noticed is that the faculty and staff knows all the students. Like, I love that about it. And, um, and they really get to know their kids and know what they need. Um, some of their professors don't even use textbooks. They just tell, they just have lectures and tell stories. And I think that that's a really innovative way to do things. Um, they give every student, uh, an Apple iPad and a pencil, and it's loaded with their textbooks and give them like every student gets apps that help them read, not just the ones with learning issues. And I think all of us can benefit from that. So I guess the running theme for me would be intentional thought on the student experience. And that comes a lot from my reporting for the Today Show and for the Washington Post and talking to different colleges, especially during COVID and seeing how they reacted to COVID and the things that were placed on students. Places like Brown and UVM did really outside the box thinking on how to make this okay or more okay for the kids and how could they make horrible things that were happening during COVID at least ease that a little bit. Like UVM had entire dorm hallways quarantined together so that mm. they could then be active together and you know go to a rock climbing gym as a pod, um, which would build community and like make the kids feel like they at least had people around them that they could interact with safely. That kind of thought, like I just think that is really the call to action right now with the mental health crisis on college campuses, because I'm sorry, but the hot messes that we have in high school are moving on and they're coming to college campuses. So, and I don't care how many counselors you have in place to address those issues. It's not the counseling that you really have to put the thought and time into. It is everything that leads up to a child seeking counseling. It is how, what is the span of time you get them to do their workload? Um, how long are your semesters? Like, are you crunching the time in on them? Are they having to race through things? Do they have time to have a life like, or are they um, constantly under the gun academically, <clears throat> my oldest child? So, you know, <laughs> these are, these are things that we have to address because until we do, um, it is not going to be okay. And I think that the kids are very articulate about their needs and people need to listen to them. So one day when I grow up, I'm going to be an educator slash parent slash writer, just like you, Allison. <laughs> one day, one, one, one day, one day. Tim, our esteemed guest, uh, you have any final closing comments for her? I just want to thank you. Uh, you know, thank you for not only your time today, but all the great work that you're you're doing um, for the messages that you conveyed. Obviously, you know, mental health 
uh, being at the top of that list, but also just, you know, telling, you know, students and families to be open in this process to the schools they're thinking about, be very intentional about what are the experiences to move beyond the name. So, you know, just thank you. And thank you for your candor and your honesty. I, yeah. I think, you know, sometimes in this process, you know, we can, you know, kind of give the political correct answers, but I think you have given us a lot of food for thought. So we appreciate it. And while y'all don't see the video, she has some great prog product placement behind her shoulder. She has the <laughs> Black Family's Guide to College Always. Admission, a, a conversation about education, parenting, and race. If they don't have it, Shireen? They need, they need to give. They're late. First of all, you're late. <laughs> where uh, are you? But, you know, I don't know where you've been, but yeah. uh, as application season kind of roars back on, upon us, uh, the summer will fly by all too fast, as we all know. And we want seniors, rising seniors to be productive. We want rising juniors, rising sophomores, rising freshmen to understand that high school is a wonderful experience, but you got to be proactive in your college search process. And, and again, with 4,000 college universities across the country, we are actively trying to redefine success, but we need you, parents and students, to engage with us or your school counselor or some kind of professional entity to learn more about colleges so you don't get caught in the U.S. News and World Report ranking trap. Yeah, make your own rankings. Do not just do not read those rankings. Make your own rankings based on your own value system because you don't even know what the U.S. News and World Report rankings are on unless you're <laughs> a reporter like me. And trust me, it's not what most parents value, actually. So I believe you. I make believe your that. own rankings. Allison Slater Tate, you are a one of a kind, one of one uh, limited edition. We thank you so much for your time and energy and best of luck this writing season, summer, but fall season. We'll see you in Baltimore. Yes, see you in Baltimore. All right, we're out. We're All out. Right. Join us on our next episode of Application to Admission as we welcome Dr. Bianca Bush, licensed psychiatrist, as she talks about all ways to support parents, students, and families through the college admission process. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us.